Welcome to Tales from the Fourth Trimester, a podcast dedicated to the beauty and brutality of new motherhood. I'm your host, Naomi Krisalakis, and I'm a postpartum doula and cook in Sydney, Australia. My service, Cocoon, provides good food and a helping hand for new mummers. Join me as I chat to women about what happened after they brought their baby home and interview experts for their wisdom, because giving birth is just the beginning. I've got Kate Hazlitt with me today. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast, Kate. Thank you for having me. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> Not true, but tell everyone a little bit about yourself and who you're mum to. Okay, well, my name's Kate Hassett. I uh, am an editor at a homes magazine. I've got two lovely little cherub children. Uh, One of them is about to turn three in June. And then my youngest is, hmm, I have to think about this, approximately 13 and a half months. Uh, (laughs) I lose track after one year and then I'm not really sure until we get to 18 months. Uh, But yeah, she is wonderful. I'm really lucky that I have one of each. So I've got a perfect little pigeon pair family at the moment. Um, I say that at the moment because I'm not sure if I want any more kids. At the moment, I'm really, really happy and fine with my two. I think perhaps I'd consider it maybe when my oldest goes to kidney, but before then I'm, I'm closed for business. So. <laughs> we'll have to catch up with you in a couple of years and, yes, and exactly. see what's happening. So I've changed my mind. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And um, you're in Sydney, right? I am in Sydney, yes. We live in a beautiful little leafy suburb called Abbotsford, which is right on the water. It's where I grew up. My mum still lives down the road. We are incredibly lucky. Yeah, we're surrounded by trees. We live in a, a small apartment, but it's made so much easier because our outlook is just green mm. and water glimpses, which is just beautiful. So yeah, we're really lucky and we love living here. It's such a Abbotsford nice is a house. lovely part of the world. I remember when we were mm. looking for a house, we were my dad was like, look at Abbotsford. I was like, well I I will look at Abbotsford, yeah. but um yeah. you know, at yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So we are not you know in a water edged Oh yeah, absolutely very nice part of the world. Yeah. It is. It's beautiful. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I don't know what I'll do when, if we actually get the opportunity to buy something and we are not able to live in this area anymore, but you know, yeah. cross that bridge when we come to it. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So talk to me about, um, pre baby Kate, who mm-hmm. tell, paint me a picture. Who were you? What were you doing? How'd you meet your partner? What were babies always on the cards for you? Talk, tell me what was, what that was all about. I think, um, I think babies were definitely a hundred percent always on the cards for me. In my mind, I had uh, quite a regimented view of when those children were going to come into my life um, Mm -hmm. and what steps I would have taken prior to that, as I'm sure so many people do. I'm going to think you're a little bit type A like me. (laughs) So I had this idea in my mind that 
30 would be kind of around the time where I'd be established enough in my career that I could think about having children around that time. Um, my mum had me when she was 31. So I always had that, that kind of age around in my mind from a very young age, actually. I've always been quite maternal. My friends used to always joke that I was like the mum of the group when I was growing up. Um, so I just, I feel like I always had that yearning within me to have children. I suppose then I entered my 20s and my life was fun and amazing and brilliant. And I went to uni and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I studied history for some random reason, um, mostly because I loved it, but I didn't want to be a history teacher. I didn't want to be a historian. Um, I didn't know what I was going to do until my last year at uni when I just randomly applied for an internship at uh, Rush Magazine mm -hmm. and I got it and I rocked up there the first day and I sat down and I spoke with the production editor and I left. I remember leaving that day and just being like, wow, this is what I want to do. I want to work in magazines. I want to create things. I want to have this world in my life and from there I just went on this path of just interning 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 so at one point I was having I think I had like three internships at once um, for wow. different publications I was bartending full-time as well um, and then I was still at uni full-time so I would it's so mad to think about it now and how I worked as much as I did because at the time it just seemed like nothing, like I was just busy, but that was it. But I was working, I was doing an internship three days a week. I was at uni two days a week and then I would work at the bar four nights a week, do a double on Saturday and then work there on Sunday morning. So I was just working seven days a week. <laughs> I had no rest. I remember going out after work, coming home at like two o'clock in the morning, writing an essay until 6am, going to sleep, waking oh up God. at 9.30 <laughs> to go and hand it in. And it was just my life for like probably two years um, until one of my internships turned into a full-time job. And I went from being an intern to, oh God, I can't even remember what I was. I was the online producer, but I was a one-woman team. So what had happened was the associate editor and the production editor had both um, quit at the same time. <laughs> and I was, and they basically said, okay, well, you've been doing this job for three months. You kind of know what you're doing. Um, I suppose they believed in me enough to allow me to do it. Uh, and then I, yeah, got offered the job and I of course took it because it was a full-time job in a magazine that I loved. Um, little did I know that that would mean working probably 
70, 80 hour weeks for two and a half years. Um, I, as all like people who start off in magazines will know the pain was so horrifically bad. <laughs> I had to have a second job. Um, so I was still working at the bar and I was still, yeah, I was working at the magazine Monday to Friday, the regular work hours. And then after work three nights a week, I was going to work at the bar until midnight, 1am. I'd come home, go to sleep, go back to work again. And then I'd work a double on a Saturday and then oh Sunday morning. And so it was just like that, but I just didn't, I didn't know anything else and so I was just on this trajectory where I was just like career 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 that's all I have to focus on I'm ready to do this um it was also that bar was where I met my partner and we were both bartenders at the time I was actually his supervisor so um we had a really strange dynamic to begin with because I really didn't like him and I thought thought he was a little shit and he was a (laughs) show-off he never listened to anything I said and we got in many many arguments um until yeah I couldn't even tell you how that actually turned into a relationship but it did so there you go um (laughs) it might have been the fact that I was working so much so perhaps my (laughs) sense of reality was ousted uh but yeah it was just um a really hectic time in my life where I was so, I had such a laser focus on what I wanted to do that just nothing else mattered. Um, so I'd, I'd been at that magazine for two and a half years and I was still doing this bartending stuff. Eventually I stopped the bartending because I did negotiate a wage rise to give me a somewhat, um, minimum wage that I could live off. Uh, So I stopped working there. My partner and I um, actually moved into the apartment we're in now and we had moved in here for a year with the understanding that we were just going to do everything we could to save as much money as we could so we can put a deposit on an apartment. Um, About two months (laughs) into living here, I found out I was pregnant. I was 27 at the time. I had been off the pill for a year and a half. Um, I was told, we were always very careful. I was told um, a month prior, a month prior to us moving in, I um, was seeing a gynecologist because I'd already, I had always, always, always had like the most horrific period pain and being unbearable. I would vomit. I would sometimes faint. It would be hard for me to exist. Basically, uh, I was going to have surgery under the proviso that she was looking for endometriosis. My mum had it. She assumed that I had it as well. She had told me that it would probably be incredibly difficult for me to fall pregnant. So if I wanted to think about it in the next five years or so, that it was advised that I should have this surgery now and then, you know, we can get on that pathway. Um, Yeah, so I was booked in to have surgery. I found out that I was pregnant. Uh, It was a huge, a huge shock to my system. I had no idea what I was going to do. 
I told my partner over the phone, he was out at a client meeting, really drunk. Um, I was, and there was silence for a little while. And I was like, hello, are you there? Are we, are we still together? Is this okay? And he just said that he was so excited and he couldn't believe it. And he started crying and he's not a crier. He's a year younger than me. So he was 26 at this time. I was 27. He was just so, so excited. And then he came home about two hours later. He was still very, very intoxicated. And he sat at the end of the bed and he said, oh, I hope you don't mind, but like I told my colleague because I was just so excited. I was like, Edwin, I am five weeks pregnant. How on earth could you tell somebody about it? I don't even know if we're going to have this baby. I was like, what do you mean? Of course we're going to have this baby. This is so exciting. And we just, you know, we spoke about it for days. And from the get-go, his reaction was just, always this is what we were going to do and of course of course it was my decision it was my body I was to do whatever I was comfortable with but in him in his mind there was never any other choice um or any other decision rather and and he was just so ready I think it helped that at the time his older brother um was expecting his first child so there was kind of this lovely little bubble that was existing in that family that the first grandchild was going to be born and he grew up as one of seven so he's really big on family and I think he loved that experience of growing up with so many kids and so he was just really excited for like cousins to be around the same age um, so, yeah, we obviously decided to have the baby. Um, we, after a while, we kind of started speaking about the fact that we were so lucky that all of the issues that we were expecting to have when we were having those conversations about pregnancy and about having babies in the future seemed to not exist for us, which is so so incredible and so amazing and we were so lucky that this had happened to us and without any kind of any any experiences that that would have taken away from that situation so we were just yeah over the moon really it was quite interesting um going from working 70 80 hour weeks to suddenly not working at all um which was hard to adjust to but i uh yeah, about the the last, I went on maternity leave, if I can remember correctly, I think it was about six weeks before I was due. Mm-hmm. And I'd had in my mind, I'd done hypnobirthing. I was prepared in my head for a natural birth. Um, I had all of these plans, which is just so funny to say out loud. Um, but I was using a private obstetrician we were doing lots of scans the whole way along. Um, my child, well, Charlie, had been in a posterior position almost the entire way through my pregnancy. Um, so I got to see his face once 
out of all of the scans that we had because it was just impossible. Um, but he, yeah, so basically what happened is about two weeks before I was due, I got this phone call from my obstetrician and she'd said, look, uh, we're a bit worried about the weight of this baby. We're a bit worried about the size of this baby where I'm basically suggesting to you that it is of my professional opinion that we deliver this baby by a C-section. Because he was too big. Because he was too big. So in hindsight, obviously, after I've had, after having the two kids and after kind of being a lot more educated after the first time round, I wish that there was a point where I kind of turned around and said, no, actually, I'm not going to go with the C-section. I'm going to go along with my wishes for a natural birth. But I did, after lots of consideration and after lots of conversations with my mom and my partner, who were both kind of on of the idea and of the opinion that I should listen to professional advice, um, I decided to go with a C-section. It took a really, really long time for me to come to terms with that. And it was incredibly, like I say, disappointing to say the absolute least, because it was just like this huge blow to everything I had imagined, everything I had prepared for, everything I had wanted to, had wanted birth to be. And that was really, really difficult for me. Um, so when we, I think I decided to go with her opinion because one, I trusted her completely. She had always been so open and honest with me and amazing and just it, the loveliest woman. And so I kind of just had to sit back and say, okay, I'm just going to go with this. Let's do it. If you think that's what's best, if you think that I'm putting myself in danger or whatever by doing this, then let's go with this. Again, I was young. Again, I was not as informed as I am now. I wish I had been and I wish, I wish I'd done more reading on it. I wish I'd been a better advocate for myself. Um, but I just, I just wasn't able to. And of course my partner was so petrified being a first time father that he was not able to be an advocate for me in a way that kind of made me second guess or made me think about another alternative because he was really worried about it. And so we went in on the day that I was scheduled for my C-section. Everything was fine and amazing. And I was able to have skin to skin contact. Um, we did um, like a cord clamping and then we did a cord pull. So we were able to have little aspects of what I wanted in, um, in my idea of what I wanted my birth to be like. I had... Um, yeah, I was able to hold the baby the entire time. I took him back. We were only in um, aftercare for an hour before I could go back to my room. But then, um, yeah, I mean, he was born at, how big was he? He wasn't even big. He was at completely average size as, as right. yeah, what this happened. Is, this, is the, um, this is the problem with yeah. 
I, I just, yeah. I feel like more often than not, like honestly, yeah. it's 90% of the time. Yeah. This is what the scans, oh, it's the baby's measuring big. Yeah. Yeah. The baby absolutely. Comes out. I was told the baby's measuring a little bit ahead. Yeah. Um, and C section wasn't on the card to me, but she was 3.4 kilos. Like she yeah. was very yeah. bad average. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, they're is... notoriously inaccurate. And I think the, like, I think obstetricians are amazing, but they yeah. are, they are surgeons. That's, yeah, you know, absolutely. absolutely. So, yeah. That's and that difference. was, yeah, that was the, that was the case. And not I all of saw... them, I should say, I shouldn't generalize. Yeah. Like that, yeah. But, you know, a lot of them. Um, so I think, yeah, like he came out, he was 3.7 kilos. So again, like totally average. He was, how tall was he? 58 centimeters tall. He had, yeah, he was quite tall. He had quite a large head, which is what she was concerned about. Like he was Mm. born with, I think he was like 38 centimeters or something. Mm -hmm. So it's got a big noggin. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but when, he, when we did have the C-section, it was at 39 weeks. My body reacted really badly to the anesthetic and to the morphine that they put me on. So I had like the uncontrollable shakes for about 12 hours after surgery, which is not fun when you have C-section and you've got seven layers of stitches and you can't stop your body from convulsing. And I was insanely itchy. Like, uh, yeah, it was, it was really uncomfortable. The first 24 hours were horrific for me. Um, Charlie, wouldn't latch we couldn't get him to latch we had like six different midwives coming in trying to put him on trying to position him in a different way we just couldn't do it um so i started i started um trying to express or hand express rather we were trying to get the colostrum into um like little syringes and then feed him that way but it took so it took like two days for my milk to come in. So I was getting tiny, tiny, tiny bits of colostrum, like drops and feeding him like that and still trying to attach him and still trying to latch and it just, we weren't having a fun time. About three days in, one of the midwives, which was the only midwife that I had a bad experience with, every other midwife at that hospital was just the most beautiful, warm, caring, loving, everything. They were all Irish, which I loved because I have this obsession with Irish people. Um, But they, yeah, I had one who came in and she said, right, this baby's not feeding enough. He's not doing enough wheeze. He's not doing enough booze. Let's get some formula into him. And I just remember crying and crying and crying I couldn't even say anything to her my partner had to sit down with her and say look you know I think I think he's okay he's not a low birth weight um because he had done some reading beforehand thank god um I think we'll just wait tonight and if he's really distressed if we really think we need it obviously of course we're gonna go ahead with it but can we just can we just wait like is this is this the be all and end all? Is my child going to starve to death if I don't give him formula right now? And she said, look, you know, it's just being irresponsible if you don't. And we, yeah, it was, it was, yeah. So I still, I I still, 
were you seeing, was there a lactation consultant in the hospital? Or were they there just was, like, yes. Yeah, and we had been seeing her throughout the day. She came to see me a few times and she put me on, um, so she got me one of those hospital-grade pumps and she was trying to stimulate everything to get it in. So she, she brought in the big guns, really. Um, and so we were doing that and then eventually my milk came in that night that the other midwife suggested using formula. Yep. Thank God, because I just... <laughs> I just couldn't take it. Like mentally, I was completely drained. Emotionally, I was completely drained. I had in my mind that I always wanted to breastfeed. So that was at the top of my agenda. And because we'd had three days of just this such, such intense difficulty trying to get him to latch and so many people saying... While you were recovering as well. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Recovering (laughs) in pain. (laughs) I had read about tongue and lip ties before I had Charlie. And so I kept asking all of these midwives, does he have a tongue tie? Does he have a lip tie? Can you check? Because I was looking at his tongue and I was thinking, oh, you know, like it maybe looks like what I can Google a a tongue tie looks like. But then I had all of these midwives saying, no, no, totally fine. Normal, average, totally fine. Don't worry about it. He doesn't have a tongue tie. He just needs to latch properly. And then we had a pediatrician come in about day four after he had the initial meeting with him and he checked him out just after he was born, but he wasn't checked for tongue tie then. He came in about day four and I said, look, can you have a look and see if you think he has a tongue tie? And he opened his mouth and he said, yeah, absolutely. hundred percent tongue tie. Um, Yeah. Divisive. Thing. I mean, like, yeah, oh God, it's all of this. I'm just like, oh, it's making me so cross because I think it is, you're exactly right. I think telling people, oh, it's all natural and oh, everything should be easy and the baby should just latch on and go for it is not correct for most people. Some people happen like that. Um, But I I, I always tell people it's a learnt skill. It might be natural, but it doesn't come naturally. And it shouldn't be excruciatingly Yes, of course, of course. But it's it's normal to, it's like, you know, if you're doing a workout for the first time, like it's normal to expect soreness. It's like there's sensitivity as your nipples get used to everything and your boobs are engorged and yeah, like having, you've got to have some realistic expectations happening. Yeah. And then the tongue tie thing, oh my God, that's <laughs> this, it's so, it's such a confusing yeah. It's such a thing. So he said that, yes, he's definitely got a tongue tie. He said he's got a tongue tie. He said, look, um, the baby's really young. If you're having a lot of issues and if it's something you'd like to do, here is the number of my tongue tie guy. Um, go and see him. He's really amazing. He's very gentle. Uh, he'll fix it for you. And then you can start trying to do this again. So we organized for his tongue tie to be cut the next week. Mm -hmm. And we went in and (laughs) we saw the midwife who worked there and she was the lactation consultant and the midwife. And so she was in the house and her role was to facilitate the latching immediately after the surgery. 
and so she said, you know, there's never been, there's, <laughs> this is the funniest thing. She said, there's never, ever been a baby that I haven't gotten to latch immediately after surgery once the tongue tie was released. Don't worry. You're in good hands. We're going to be fine. So we had the surgery. The tongue tie was released. It was like the most traumatic thing I've ever been through. Um, even though Charlie cried for approximately 10 seconds and then was completely fine like nothing had happened afterwards so we sat down we went into the next room we met with the consult uh, the lactation consultant she spoke to us for a little while about what our issues had been prior she looked at his tongue she quicked him on to my boob um and lo and behold he wouldn't latch and we tried six different positions we tried sitting him up for a little while waking him up letting him have a little snooze letting him wake up again we were in there for about mm, an hour and 45 minutes and he just still wouldn't latch so she said um that she was really surprised that that this was happening because it, she's never experienced it before and that he was um yeah a very particular case that that i that i'm just gonna need to work at and just keep trying every day so we moved on to using nipple shields and then i would use nipple shields i would express we started a combination of mixed feeding with expressing bottles um syringe feeding for the first week or so and then we moved into bottles using express milk and the nipple shield and we just it was just like this oh my goodness that sounds exhausting oh, it was so exhausting and it was just yeah it was i i remember it's so crazy because i look back at it and i'm like yeah we just did what we needed to do but the schedule that i'd put myself on for feeding and expressing and and making sure that I was expressing halfway through his nap so milk would still be there when he woke up from his nap, but then I had milk stored for later so I could give him top-ups and all of these things. It was so incredible stressful, incredibly stressful, and it probably, oh, I would say that it had an effect on my milk supply, definitely. I, I never had a big supply to begin with, and I don't know whether or not that was due to all of the issues that we had at the very beginning when my milk was coming in or, or things like that, or if it was just me. But that was another thing that I struggled with um, mentally and emotionally as well is that I sort of in my head, I'd said, okay, well, I, I, I ticked off these boxes in my head where I had gone into like a slightly dark place where I'd been like, I couldn't give birth naturally. I couldn't breastfeed straight away. And I don't have enough milk to exclusively breastfeed my baby. Oh. And so, yeah, it was just, it was quite heartbreaking and very intense emotionally. And it was really hard at the time because I was told when I had my first midwife visit at home when baby was probably, I think, I think, he was about three or four weeks and she weighed him and she said, look, he hasn't, he's barely put on any weight. Um, how often are you feeding? Are you feeding on demand? And I said, yes, I'm feeding all day, every day. 
every night, all through the night, like just constantly I'm pumping between feeds. I'm trying to do everything I can. I'm taking fenugreek. I'm taking blessed thistle. I'm eating oats. I'm making cookies with all of these like beautiful lactation um, tools in my tool belt that I was trying to use. And I felt like I was doing everything I could possibly do. I was drinking three litres of water a day. I was um, not sleeping, but still everything I could possibly do, I was trying to do. My mum was around all the time, so I was eating really great food. Um, I was trying to nourish my body and give it the best chance it had to increase my milk supply or to, um, you know, give my baby everything that I knew he needed. And so when I was told that, it was just like someone had punched me in the gut. It was so hard to hear the words, you need to top up with formula, which is so messed up because it shouldn't be like the only thing that that doctor was telling me was that, hey, you know, your baby's a bit underweight. We want your baby to be putting on some more weight. Let's just up his intake of milk. And you know what? That can help. It can help with him feeding and him feeding for longer and him doing all of these things because as he gets bigger, feeding will get easier for him and all of these things. So, but the way that she told me was that I had been doing something wrong and I had been depriving him of the nutrients that he needed by not giving him formula earlier on. Mm, mm. So and much it of that way it's delivered, oh, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And, and if it had been delivered differently and if it had been delivered in the way of, of someone being caring enough to say, hey, let's just try this out, let's see if it improves yeah. things and just keep doing what you're doing. It but, doesn't have you to know, be permanent. And exactly. You've done such a great job. Of, like you, It sounds like you would <laughs> Absolutely everything you could possibly be doing. It took me so long to to come to terms with that again. And it was just yet another thing that I had kind of lumped on this plate that I was carrying that seemed to get heavier and heavier and heavier with all of these issues that I was having. And then I started feeling guilty about feeling guilty which is so bizarre. <laughs> um, but I just... You beat yourself up. <laughs> I did, I did. Oh, my God. I was just my own worst enemy, honestly. Like, it was just... Well, uh, and it's so yeah. hard when it's, you know, if you're sleep deprived and there's hormones and yeah. there's a, it's a perfect storm. Um, yeah, yeah, it's... Oh, it's so it was rough. It was rough. But, I mean, we got we got through it and we kept going with the, nipping sh the nipple shield and the expressing and the bottle top-ups and the formula top-ups and, and everything. And we just we got into this routine and it got easier. Um, and along the way, I had mastitis multiple times and that didn't oh. help. I got... Uh, my scar got infected twice. It was just a... Yeah, it, look, it was a wild ride. Um, and things just didn't, I think it was honestly around the four month mark where one day I took off the nipple shield and he just latched and it was perfect. And mm. there was no pain whatsoever. It was like, he wasn't even on there. He drank for a really long time, like longer than he ever had. 
it was just this beautiful moment where everything that I'd gone through for the past four months was just wiped from my memory. And it was like, none of that happened. This is amazing. This is what I always wanted. I'm so happy right now. He's doing so well. I'm doing so well. All of the pain is over. Like I didn't have any more pain from my C-section anymore. I wasn't sick anymore. I was getting, I had completely come to terms with the fact that I was mixed feeding. I was happier. I wasn't so emotionally distressed or, uh, or feeling all of those waves of different emotions anymore. And I felt like I'd, I'd come out on top of this cloud that had been hanging over me. And it was such a moment of clarity and I can still remember that exact minute that I looked down at him and, and then I realized that he had latched properly and it was just so amazing. And I felt so happy and, and there was so much relief that, okay, well, we've turned a corner and this is a great corner and I'm really happy that we've turned this corner and now I can kind of start living again. And that's mm. what, I did and it was so wonderful from then on because we still we still did all of the mixed feeding I still went to the breastfeeding clinic every two weeks to weigh him until he was six months old because I was so paranoid about him not gaining weight um but he like he turned into a beautiful chunky little boy he was happy he was meeting all of his milestones I was happy I then um yeah, he was just a great kid. Like he was so wonderful and so happy all of the time. And I just kind of like looking back on it, I wish, I wish that my experience in those early months had been different because I feel like I had put so much pressure on myself that it was really hard to be in the moment and to be not appreciative because I was so appreciative of having this gorgeous little human that was perfect and lovely and loved me so much more than anything else and depended on me to live, which is such a incredible responsibility, but also such a huge blessing to have. Um, but I just, yeah, I wish I'd been able to, to appreciate those moments a little bit more instead of have this cloud of, of negativity and this cloud of, of feeling this such strong guilt around those first four months. But yeah, I mean, we came out the end of it and it was really bloody awesome, but yeah, it was, it was, it was really tough. It really mm. was. <laughs> It really like yeah. That. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, it was a beautiful time, but it was bloody tough. Yeah. yeah. Tell me about deciding to have your second baby. Mm. Look, deciding is a strong word. So <laughs> I would say <laughs> it was, it was really funny actually. So um, we, I think Charlie, what was it? I'd started a new job. Because as I was coming to the end of my maternity leave with Charlie, I'd kind of got this huge confidence boost, decided to ask for 
um, <laughs> decided to ask for a raise before I came back and a title change. It was denied. I said, all right, then I'm going to walk away and I'm not coming back. Uh, so I did that. Within a couple of weeks, I got offered a new job um, with a much better title and a bigger pay rise, which was fantastic. Uh, I started working there. I'd been working there for about, oh, how six months. And um, I found out that I was pregnant and it was a huge surprise because I'd been taking the mini pill. I was still breastfeeding Charlie. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a very large surprise. Um, so yeah, we were actually on, where were we? We were in Fiji and we'd gone to Fiji as like a lovely little, um, it was our first family holiday with our baby and we went with my brother and my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and they told us that they were expecting their second baby and that she was like, um, I think about 10 weeks pregnant at this time and we were both like, wow, amazing, second kid, look at you go, we are not there yet, okay, wow, that's so fantastic for you and then, yeah, I came back. I came back home, I started feeling a bit sick, but nothing like the first time. Um, so I didn't even think about it. I was two days late for my period. Again, didn't even think about it because it was two days and what even is two days. Um, and then it turned into a week. And then I started to panic a little bit. So I took a pregnancy test and it was almost... Like as soon as my pee hit that stick, it was like double lines, definitely a hundred percent pregnant. You are pregnant. Um, and I came out of the bathroom and I was holding the pregnancy test in my hand and my partner was on the floor with Charlie putting him in his pajamas to get him ready for bed. And I just burst into tears and he just looked at me and he was like, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> And just like, he was like, you take a minute. I'm going to put Charlie to bed. You know, just, we'll talk about this. Let me just put Charlie to bed. We'll talk about it. So I put Charlie to bed and it came out like 45 minutes later. And we just both sat there in this shock and this like massive, massive amount of disbelief. But then he went for, he took our dog for a walk to like clear his head. I sat down and I called my mom and I burst into tears before I even said anything. She said, Kate, you've got to stop doing this to me. It's just an inappropriate way to start conversations. What is going on? And I just said, I am pregnant. And she was so surprised. And she said, did you, did you mean to get pregnant? Were you trying for another baby and just not telling me? And I said, no, no, we weren't. Um, this is just what happened and it seems that the two of us are just um, quite fertile when we are together and that's just the way it is. Um, so, yeah, I was pregnant and it, this time I think it was a shock because we didn't, we weren't expecting to become pregnant, obviously, but there wasn't that same 
there wasn't that same feeling with the same pregnant with the first pregnancy because with this one obviously we always wanted to have another kid that was always always on the cards we've perhaps spoken about thinking about it once charlie turned two so that there might be like an approximate three-year age gap that was again in my head that was the plan that i had for the future <laughs> Um, so yeah, it was just more of a, okay, well, we always wanted this timings a bit off. I've six months into a new job. Um, this is where I was going to settle for quite a long time. So it was, it was a bit hard for me to realize that, you know, in another six months, I would have to take a step back from that. And, and it was kind of having to reconcile that in my mind a little bit in that I was concerned that I was taking a backward step in my career when really I'd taken five steps forward. So I was just putting a pause on it for six months and then I'd return again. I told myself that I'd take six months off and then, and then go back. Um, so yeah, this pregnancy was, my second pregnancy was completely different to the first. I was sick for the first month, um, but I got it pretty well under control as long as I just ate constantly. And that was my, I was like, okay, okay, I'm, I'll just eat nothing but crackers for the first four months. But as long as I'm only eating crackers and eating constantly, then I'm completely fine. So I got through that really well. Um, we decided to find out what the sex was and we found out it, uh, I think it was something like 12 weeks. So really early. And I, in my head, I had always told myself for some reason, my entire life, like from when I was 15 years old, I had in my head that I would have three boys and that I would never have a girl. And it was just this weird thing that I had just told myself and decided not, no, I was having three boys. That's just the way it was going to be. And then with this pregnancy, I was like, oh, it feels really different. I think I'm having a girl, but I'd convinced myself that I was wrong and that I was definitely having a boy, but I just kept having that nagging feeling in the back of my head that I was having a girl. So when I, when I found out that I was having a girl, it was a huge shock because I just worked myself up into the fact that I was never going to have a girl and I was only ever going to have boys. And that was the way it was, but it was a beautiful, beautiful shock because what an amazing surprise and what, like what a beautiful, beautiful blessing to have a boy and a girl. If you're going to have two kids, it was just perfection. Really. I was so lucky and yeah, it was just completely different. I mean, I, I just kept going to work. I was fine. I was working out a lot with this pregnancy, which I was not doing with the first. Um, I'd gone back to the same obstetrician, but we'd talked about having a VBAC and I was really insistent on that. And I'd done lots of research and I felt really prepared and I felt really informed. And I went in there and she was 100% on board and really happy with anything that I wanted to do. And she said, yep, absolutely. I've done loads of VBACs. They've all been really successful. Let's do this. Let's go into this. So I was feeling really great about this pregnancy and I was feeling really great about this birth. And um, I went on mat leave about, about five weeks before she was due. Um, 
and my obstetrician the whole way, the whole last trimester, she'd be like, okay, she's, she's measuring um, quite small this time. And so she wanted me to do more regular tests, which I was happy to do because she was so on board with everything else. So I just went in every two weeks for a scan. Again, she was measuring small, measuring small, measuring small. Um, but there was no issues. She wasn't worried. Everything else was healthy. Her growth was good. Um, but I, yeah, I just didn't put on much weight in my second pregnancy um, compared to my first, at least. So. Yeah, there was an issue there because I was like sometimes losing weight from right. week to week, um, which was nothing to do with what like I wasn't I wasn't restricting myself in any way. Like I was working out, but you know I was doing reformer Pilates or bar like three times a week. It wasn't really like I was on the treadmill for two hours a day killing myself, and I was just eating like really nice good food. Um, but they were a little bit worried about that. Uh, but then in the last week. I, yeah, I was just feeling really, really tired and I went into uh, a scan and she said, oh, you know, like she's still measuring really small. We're a little bit worried, but I think everything will be fine. So I was expecting her to say that she's not on board for the VBAC or, you know, my plans will have to change or blah, blah, blah. And she was just like, look, I'm going to let you go to 41 weeks and then we're going to have another scan and then we're going to reassess where we're going with this. And I said, okay, I'm really comfortable with that. I'm really happy with that. Let's do that. So we did that. Um, at 40 weeks, I got a phone call from my boss telling me that I'd been made redundant. <laughs> I was um, devastated. It wasn't um, to make things you know it sounds a lot worse than it was it was my entire team so it's not like it was just me um but it, of course it felt like it was just me at the time so I was really upset I was really stressed out um and I kind of had this moment of panic where I just thought what the hell am I going to do I'm about to start maternity leave um I don't have a job to go back to it was yeah pretty insane because I just, yeah, I loved, I loved working where I did. I was so happy. I thought that that was the place that I was going to be for the next five years or whatever. So that was really hard. Um, but then, you know, my partner and I had the conversation about everything happens for a reason and this is just what happened and everything's going to work out. Don't you worry. It's going to work out. Now we just need to focus on, you know, bringing the baby into the world and being as happy and healthy and calm as we possibly could. So I just went like really deep into my hypnobirthing and did lots of meditation and wanted to give myself the best experience that I possibly could this time around. So we went for a scan at 41 weeks. Everything was fine. She was still a little bit small, but nothing to be concerned about. I hadn't dilated at all. There was no, like, baby hadn't dropped. There was no indication that she was in any way coming. Uh, so I was told by my obstetrician, look, we're going to see what happens over the next couple of days. But just so you are aware, are aware, um, if we get to, I can't even remember what the day was, but it was probably a couple of days from that scan. 
if we get there and the baby still hasn't come and it doesn't look like she's coming anytime soon, then we're going to book you in for a C-section. And of course I was devastated. I went home that night. I cried the entire time I was driving home, which is very dangerous. Um, but I did, I got home. I spoke to my partner. Um, and my obstetrician very wishly, she'd, I'd been leaving the office and she said, look, have some spicy food, go for a walk, do all of the things that it says on the list. But do you know what I think works the most is having sex. And I was like, I don't want to have sex. I'm 41 <laughs> weeks pregnant. What is that kind of bullshit? You think I'm up for that? No way. And came home and I told my partner, and I was like, you know, she's just not, she's not coming. She's really in there. She's really happy. She just doesn't want to come out right now. I don't want to have a C-section. What are we going to do? He's like, well, what did the obstetrician say? I was like, look, we've just got to have sex, okay? This is what we've got to do, and it's for the baby, and we've just got to do it. He's like, you don't have to tell me twice. And so we went to bed that night. You know, we had a lovely time. And then about, I think it was about 3 a.m., I woke up with like really mild cramping, which is not dissimilar to what I'd experienced throughout my pregnancy. And so I was kind of like, oh, okay, you know, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's nothing bad. And I tried to go back to sleep, but I couldn't. So I kind of came out and walked around the living room while everyone was still asleep and like went on my, my ball and kind of did a, a few little circles and trying to watch some TV to take my mind off things. Things started getting a bit more intense. And I was like, okay, this might be Braxton Hicks. I've never had Braxton Hicks. I don't know what they are. I don't know what they feel like. I'm just going to tell myself this is Braxton Hicks. So I had convinced myself that that's what it was. Things started getting more regular. Things started getting more uncomfortable. And so I started timing them. And then probably three hours into this happening, I was getting contractions every like eight to 10 minutes. And I went in and I woke up, I woke up my partner and I said, oh honey, I think I'm in labor, but I'm not sure. And he was like, right, okay, up, let's go to the hospital. What are we gonna do? What do we need to do? Because obviously like we hadn't been in labor before and we hadn't had that experience the first time. So this was completely new to both of us. And my son was still asleep. So he called, um, he called his mum to come over. And by this point, my contractions were quite intense, but I had my headphones in and I was listening to my hypnobirthing tracks and I was just kind of like going with the flow. I had a shower. I put on some makeup. I put on some comfy clothes. We made sure the bag was packed. I think this was about this was about six hours into when I first started noticing a feeling in my body or when labor first started, I suppose. And my mum came over as well to watch Charlie when he woke up. We left for the hospital because I had called the midwives and they were like, look, you know, your contractions are close enough that we'd like you to come in because it is a VBAC. We'd like to do a bit more monitoring than if you were coming in for the first time. I was happy with that because I'd had a meeting with the head midwife and I'd said, I want to do hypnobirthing. 
I've got candles for the room. I want a low light. I want a sign on the front door that says no one is to enter unless it's absolutely necessary. There's to be no noise, blah, 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 you know, all of that stuff. And so I went in there. Edward walked around and set everything up for me. I put on my speaker. I put on my headphones. I had everything going the way that I wanted to go. Um, I had an examination and I was uh, just three centimetres dilated. I, I think this was about 6 a.m. And then I had gone, oh, no, this was about 9 a.m. at this point. And my contractions were about five minutes apart and they were very strong. Um, they were all in my back and there was absolutely, I almost didn't feel anything in the front of my body. Um, it was all in my back and all in my lower back and they were getting quite, yeah, they were getting quite hard to deal with and I was trying to breathe through them and I was trying to, to, get into the zone and it was just becoming harder and harder. They were getting closer and closer. And my midwife came in and she had given me another examination. I hadn't moved at all. I was three, still three centimeters. This was at like a, I think 10 AM. So there'd be no movement whatsoever, despite my contraction, my contractions getting shorter apart and stronger and stronger and stronger. They said, okay, if by 12 p.m. your waters still haven't broken, then we're going to break your waters. And so at 12 p.m., I was still three centimetres. They decided to break my waters, which was probably the most traumatising experience my partner has ever had, like even more so than, than watching a baby be cut out of me um, because he just, yeah, he looked at the, the needle and just looked at me and just said, I I can't believe that that is going up you right now. So it did. And that was, you know, incredibly uncomfortable. Um, by this point, I hadn't had any gas or anything like that. I was still just going with the flow and, and trying to move through things. Um, and then I think I went into the bath and as one of my midwives suggested, and she was really great. She was just, she, she'd come off, um, to replace the midwife that I'd had the entire way along and she was on her lunch break. And so she'd come in and she was doing this amazing thing where she was saying, okay, we need to get this baby to come down this birth canal and we need the baby to start making you dilate more because this is what needs to happen. We're still at three centimeters. My contractions were like a minute apart, not even like sometimes 30 seconds apart. So <clears throat> the midwives had all said, okay, we think you're in active, like super, super active labor. Now we think the baby is coming. And when, when we realized she wasn't and that I was still three centimeters dilated, um, that's when she told me to get into the bath and she gave me a little bit of gas and she was telling me to picture the baby coming down the birth canal. And she just kept saying this over and over again. And in my head, as clear as day, I pictured this little baby with this perfect little face and a full head of brown hair. And my son was born completely bald, like not a, a skerrick of hair on his head. There was nothing. So we'd always said, this baby's going to be completely bald as well. We just don't make babies with hair. 
and in, yeah, he was also like very, very blonde and both my partner and I had blonde hair and I just kept picturing this really little petite baby with this beautiful little pixie nose and this cute little face with a full head of dark hair. And then we came out of the bath because the midwife was like, look, I really, really want to examine you again because I really think we're close to having this baby. Um, at this point, my contractions were less than 30 seconds apart. They were unbearably, unbearably painful. I couldn't keep going anymore without drugs. So I had an epidural. And then my obstetrician got called in by the midwives because they were a bit concerned. And so had, you, had you dilated some more? Not at all. Not at all. So I was still three centimetres. Um, my midwife did an examination and she came out and I remember her saying, okay, I don't want you to be concerned. I'm going to call your obstetrician now and I'm going to get her to come in and I'm going to get somebody else to do another examination to get a second opinion. And as soon as she said that, I was just like, I can't believe this is happening. What is happening? Is the baby okay? Is the baby in distress? And she said, look, with the contractions, we're seeing a heightened heart rate with the baby, which we're not alarmed about, but it's something we need to keep an eye on and we don't want this to continue. So we're really monitoring this at the moment. And I said, okay, okay, but as long as everything's okay. And like by that point, the epidural had kicked in. So I was a lot calmer. And then I had um, a second examination and she said, okay, um, we've got a brow presentation. And I just, I said, what's that? What does that mean? And she said, okay, so when I do the examination, I can feel the top of the baby's nose. And it means that the baby's not in the correct position to come out naturally. And what they had said was that because of the way that my labor had progressed and despite my, my contractions being so close together and to be in, in active labor for so many hours, I think by this point it was about 4 p.m. And my obstetrician came in and she said, look, I'm really sorry, but I think the best option right now because the baby is in quite a bit of distress and there's the heart rate just keeps going up and up and we just need to get this baby out of you. And she's, I'm really sorry, but I really just don't think she's going to come out naturally. Um, and I looked at my midwife who had been so supportive the entire time and who had been so wonderful and knew how much a natural birth meant to me. And she just took my hand and she said, I am 100% on board with this obstetrician and if there was any way that I thought that we could, you know, get you into another position or try and move this baby, I would be doing it. So please trust me and please know that I am your advocate and if I needed to be right now, I would be, but this is what we need to do. And I kind of just said, okay, okay, this is what we need to do. So we're going into... <laughs> We're going into surgery and I just remember crying a lot and just being like, why, why does this happen to me? Which is like, it feels like such a selfish thought, you know, because how dare I think that me being able to experience birth 
or me being able to have a beautiful, healthy child is something that I should, I should feel like I, you know, I deserve over something else or whatever. But I just, I felt, I felt this, just this huge blanket of sadness come over me. And again, the guilt started with the, you know, why is this happening to me? Why can't I deliver this baby naturally? Um, why has this happened this time? After everything I did, I prepared so much. I did so much reading. I was ready for this. I was open to this. Um, and we went in and it was actually really lovely because she allowed my mum and my partner to come in. So I had them both there which I didn't have for Charlie. When Charlie was born, it was just my partner. So my mom and my mother-in-law were waiting upstairs for the baby. But my mom got to experience it this time, um, which she would have done because she was in the birth room with me. So it was always my plan to have her in with me either way. And my obstetrician just said, yep, yeah, both of you in, let's go, let's do this. There's absolutely no reason why one of you should be sitting outside right now. Um, and again, we went in there. I, um, luckily I'd had the epidural, so I was ready to go in with just like a couple of more little top ups and within, within probably not even half an hour of them telling me that that's what needed to happen. I was holding her in my arms, which is wild and so crazy that they can do that. But again, it took two obstetricians to get her out and she was so thoroughly wedged in. She was born exactly the same way with Charlie with like a huge bruise on her brow. Um, it was almost like the skin had come off. She was so wedged in there. And my obstetrician just said, look again, she was not coming out. There was just no way she was going to come out. So we made the right choice. This is what happened. And I suppose in that regard, I was just, I felt really lucky that I'd been able to go through labor and that I'd been able to have that experience. And when the baby, when Emmy, I keep saying the baby, when Emmy came out, um, they pulled down the curtain. So I was able to see her coming out again. I got skin on skin. It was really beautiful. She was born exactly how I had pictured her. So she came out with this beautiful pixie face. She had a full head of dark hair. It was just bizarre because my mum saw her before I did. And she said, Kate, she's got dark hair. She's got so much hair. Look at all that hair. And I just kept saying, that's how I pictured her. I pictured her like that. I just saw what she looked like. And then holding her was amazing. We went into um, the recovery room. She latched straight away. She mm. was such a good feeder. She just was amazing. It was a completely different experience to my first. There was no stress. We were in recovery for less than half an hour. We went up to the room. I still had the same reaction to the anesthetic and the morphine, so I was convulsing. I was really itchy. I was really uncomfortable. But she just was drinking and drinking and drinking and was so, so happy. And then, yeah, we had a great first night. The second day, all of those baby blues really, really kicked in. And I started feeling 
really intense guilt about having a second child. And it was a really strange feeling because I felt like it stopped me fully connecting with her because I had this feeling that I had done wrong by my son because he was my world and he was my everything and I loved him so much. And I felt like I was doing the wrong thing by splitting my love for him with somebody else and that by doing that in some way it 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 weakened the love that I had for him and I and I had this like weird guilt that I didn't want him to feel that way because I still loved him just as much if not more and I loved his sister but I just kept feeling all of these weird weird guilty feelings which was so bizarre and I kept expressing them to my partner and my mum and they'd say, don't be ridiculous, you know, it's just, it's, it's normal to feel like that and, you know, kids are always going to react differently to siblings and Charlie's going to be fine, like he's such a resilient, amazing, kind guy. He's going to love her and it's going to be fine and you're not a bad person for having a second baby. Like you just have to stop blaming yourself. But, yeah, I just felt this insane sense of guilt that I was doing the wrong thing and I should never have had a second child and how dare I think that I could do that to my son. And he came in to visit her a day before we got out of hospital and he was really shy and he was really weird in that he was kind of like he didn't want to stay in the hospital room at all. He wanted to go out and run around the hospital and Edward was out there with him. And again, I just started feeling this wave of guilt that I'd done the wrong thing because he didn't want a sibling. And it was just really awful of me to do that. But then we came home and he held her and he kissed her and he told her how much he loved her. And he was so wonderful from the very first day with her. And he still is. They are just absolute best friends but that kind of guilt it took a while to go away like I was feeling that for the first six to eight weeks I would say where every time I looked at him I would almost cry because I felt so bad for him for bringing somebody else into his world that he wasn't prepared for and that he couldn't understand and yeah, it was just, it was actually bizarre how, and I, and I knew in my head, I was like, this is, you know, this is normal. This is just your hormones. You know, you're being irrational. It's just emotions. You'll get through this. You knew that you were really, really emotional for the first two months with your first baby. This is going to be the same. It's just a wild ride. Get on, be prepared for what it has to give you. And so I did that and it got, it did get easier and easier, but it took a really long time and it was just totally all on myself. Nobody else was putting this pressure on me. Um, but then we started having kind of the same issues with breastfeeding as Charlie. Emmy wasn't gaining weight or she was gaining minuscule amounts. We had check-ins every week. I went to the breastfeeding clinic every week. I was doing all of the things that I was doing with Charlie to up my supply, doing all of that, and it just it just wasn't enough. So then I had this new wave of, wow, okay, 
So you can't give birth naturally because you tried it this time. You can't breastfeed properly because your body doesn't produce enough milk. So what kind of mother are you if the two most natural things that a mother is meant to be able to do are not coming natural to you? And so it was just, yeah, the second second wave of just being like, what the hell is wrong with my body that these things can't happen easily for me? Like, why, why, why does this do this? And I, yeah, I went on Matillium um, because that was kind of like a last endeavor to try and increase my supply because I was so hellbent on exclusively feeding, breastfeeding Emmy. And I gained 15 kilos in three weeks and I felt horrific, absolutely horrific. It was the biggest I'd been in my life. The weight gain was so dramatic and so fast that it hit me like a truck and I just went into this whole different world of self-hatred and an inability to look at myself. I mean, I, when you were asking me for photos of, of those early stages, I was going through my phone and I realized that I have maybe five photos of me and both babies together for the first four months of their life. Mm. They just don't exist. Um, mm. Because when my partner would take them, I would make him delete them because I hated the way I looked in them so much that it was really depressing for me to see them. And so I just have so few photos of us together, which I do, I do regret. Like I know I've got three photos of me breastfeeding both kids. That's it. Um, they just, they just don't exist because I hated myself so much and I hated looking at myself and I hated the way that I felt. And I think that further impacted my milk supply because there was so much stress and so much anxiety around that. And I'd never had the best body image to begin with. So this was just a really, a really, really big blow to my self-esteem. And yeah, to be, to be going through that um, again with kind of no one to talk to about it because none of my friends had kids. And so I'd, I'd speak to my friends and I'd say, you know, this is, this is what's happened. This is how I'm feeling. And they would say, Oh, don't be ridiculous. You've just had a baby. You know, you've just had a baby. You're meant to put on weight. You're meant to be like this. Don't worry. You'll breastfeed and then the weight will fall off. And that was another <laughs> thing that I just kept being told and I just kept being told by all of these other mothers, like whether I was at work or whether they were in mother's group or anything like that, that, oh, you know, I, I started breastfeeding my kid and the weight just fell off me and I didn't have to do anything. And I was eating 20 times a day, but I just, I couldn't even hold on to weight if I tried to. And don't worry, it'll happen to you too. It'll happen to you too. And it just was not my experience in both, in after having both kids. And I just gained so much weight after both of them that it was just yeah it wasn't it wasn't a great time um it wasn't a great time for me mentally or emotionally and it took going back to work with both kids for me to 
start feeling like myself again. And I realized that I'd, I'd kept so much of my self-worth in my job that without it, I felt like there was a piece of me missing and that I wasn't myself and I wasn't able to fully be myself until I went back to work. And I felt like that made me a better mother and it made me able to appreciate things a lot more. And it just made me be able to manage my own life again. Whereas prior to that, and it was six months for both kids, that I just couldn't, I don't know, I just, I never felt like myself. And there was always this part of me where I felt like I was just kind of going through the motions. And I loved it all. And I loved having my children. And I couldn't imagine a world where they were not the central figures in it. But I was just, there was a part of me that just wasn't there. And I, and I couldn't figure out why. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And I thought, you know, it entered my mind that maybe this would be postnatal depression or maybe this would be postnatal anxiety or, or what was going on mentally for me. But what actually cured it and what actually fixed it was going back to work, which mm. is, yeah, I don't, I don't really know what that means for me as a person or, or what that says about me. But I, for my own personal experience, it was just something that improved things so much for me and just made me feel like a whole person again so I could give that whole part of me to both of my kids. And it's just been life-changing, basically, since then. But yeah, but it was, it was certainly a wild ride with both of them. And it was... It was so difficult and there were many dark days and there were many amazing days and you know when I talk about it with my partner and I say I don't I don't even remember those early days like I could do it all again tomorrow he says oh could you because like I know you could but do we want to because there are there were so many times where he was so worried about me and he was so concerned about what was going on Oh, this little Margo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there were there were so many moments where where he was so worried about me that he just said, I think you need to just like try and remember <laughs> what those days were like. But you know, I remember I do remember everything, but I'd do it again in a heartbeat if if I felt like it, the time was right. And I wanted to go there. There's certainly no existing trauma for me that would stop me wanting to have that experience again, despite how hard it was and despite what an absolute minefield of emotions it was for me. Mm. Yeah, I'd do it again tomorrow if I had to. Well, if I had to sounds a bit bad, <laughs> but I'd do it again tomorrow if, if I ever wanted the opportunity to do it again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What a ride. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it totally was. It was, yeah, it was really not anything that I had even come close to expecting what my postpartum time would look like. 
It was just mm. almost the opposite, really. Mm. I, I had prepared myself. I'd prepared myself for the emotions and the hormones and, and I told myself that it was going to be really difficult, but mm. I never thought it would be like that. You can't I really no, I mean, you can, you can, I think the best way to prepare is to listen to everyone else's yeah. experiences, which is why yeah. I wanted to do this podcast, but you can't prepare because everyone has such different reactions. And I think okay. one of the biggest things is how it impacts your identity. You can't prepare for that because you just don't yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. So true. true. It's completely mm. massive. And I have, I have friends now who have kids, like a couple of them, but we're still, we're still of a group of friends where there's very few children. Um, and yeah, we've all had completely different experiences, but I think one of the, one of the common denominators and one thing that I have picked up on from most of the people that I've spoken to who have had young children is that they wish there was more clarity and they wish that there was more of a, kind of a, a sense of of messaging for young mothers where we weren't told that one if we can't breastfeed straight away then we're a failure or two that we need to go through our postpartum experience feeling certain things or doing certain things to be correct or right about it and there's just so much pressure and you hear so many different things from so many different people and there is just no no continuous and so for example when I was going to the breastfeeding clinics I was going every fortnight and I was going to the same clinic but I was seeing a different nurse almost every time yeah and I have to say that out of the six months that I went for both children, I did not receive the same advice twice. There was a different advice every single time I went there and not just different advice, but conflicting advice and totally contradictory advice. And it was so difficult to, to form any kind of plan or, or, or come to terms with anything in my own head because every time I went and saw a different nurse, I was told a completely different thing. And it was just so disheartening and so difficult. And I was speaking to a friend who, whose baby is four weeks old and she's been to see a lactation consultant and she's spoken to a few people and um, she has said exactly the same thing. She just keeps getting conflicting advice. She just keeps getting told different things by different people. And I think if you find someone whose opinion you really value and who you feel comfortable with and who gives you great advice and you find yourself on a really good path with them, then it's so wonderful and such a nurturing experience to have someone like that because it can be such a headache and a minefield to explore if you don't have that person. So I really hope that every young mother can find that one person because it would make such a huge difference to, I think, every mother's postpartum life to 
have the ability to have this information that is not, you know, not cemented information because, again, everybody's experience is different. It's not going to be the same for anyone. But to have something where people could kind of expect the unexpected and be okay with that, Mm. I think so many things could improve and the way we experience life could improve and the way we experience our children's early months can improve. But I think with podcasts like yours and all the information out there and the fact that we are talking and talking and talking so much more these days, which is the most important thing, and we're all there to support other mothers and not judge them and not blame them for anything and and accept that all of our paths are different. And as long as we support each other along that path, then that's the only thing that matters and that can make or break somebody's postpartum experience is just, yeah, what we all need to focus on basically. So I'm just so thankful for your podcast and I'm so thankful that that I had you throughout my second pregnancy. And like, honestly, I, I really do do believe that part of the reason why I felt so prepared and why I decided to go down the path that I had with my second pregnancy was listening to, to birth stories and interviews with professionals that, that you were posting. And it was so helpful to hear because unless you, unless you do the digging, and unless you do the research yourself and you, you open up yourself to, to different avenues like this, it's so, it's so difficult to decide what you need to do or, or to have a researched or not even researched, but to have, you know, have an idea of, of what your birth can be like mm. and what your postpartum experience can be like. Mm. I just think it's so important and it's so wonderful and you are so amazing. <laughs> well, thanks. Thank you for listening and thank you for being on the podcast. It's been so great to have you on. Oh, it's been so amazing and like quite cathartic because I think this has been the first time where I've gone from the very beginning to the very end. Not that we're at the end. I mean, she's 14 years old. But, you know, um, yeah, this is probably the first time that I have gone through everything from the very beginning. So it was actually really nice to talk about it again. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening to Tales from the Fourth Trimester. I appreciate each and every one of you who listens, shares, rates and reviews and does all of those things, tells a friend the works. Um, If you'd like to connect with me, you can head on over to Instagram or Facebook at Cocoon by Naomi is where you can find me. You can head to my website, which is www.cocoonbynaomi.com. Thanks and see you next week. Mm -hmm.